0: actually a lot. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com. That's chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.
1: Welcome, everyone, to your Rock M Nation podcast. This is Dive Cuts. Uh, I believe we're on episode 5. My name is Sam Snelling. Uh, With me, as always, is Matt Harris. Matt, how are things in Indianapolis tonight?
2: Uh, Very cold, very blustery. um, But it's exciting because the Pacers are tipping off tonight and I look forward to uh, flipping back to League Pass when we're done because now we get to fully uh, utilize that resource to waste time. The uh,
1: addition... Of league pass to my life uh, I'm feeling is going to be an, an overall net negative um, For My own time management My fiance is terrified in... She's absolutely <laughs> terrified <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Um, I've already apologized to my wife I think three times And we haven't even Like tonight as the regular season Like I've, I've spent way too much time Watching preseason basketball I don't think I've, I've watched Preseason basketball In like 10 or 15 years But here we are um, Matt, big news Really? There was an announcement uh, Monday evening The uh, Missouri Athletic Department uh, leaked a little little video of uh, some classic Missouri-Kansas highlights followed by Missouri head coach Consul Martin simply uh, looking into the camera and saying it's back and that's because the border war uh, is back, Missouri and Kansas are going to play basketball again. How excited on a scale of 1 to 1000 are you?
2: 557. 557. That seems low. I think it's cuz this felt more inevitable. It was more of a question of if it was not a question of if, but a question of when this would happen. I you know, I there's always one, if I'm just gonna be craving both schools can make a lot of money off of this and that's one motivation and two, I just I think when you get down to it there's you know just a sense of shared history a sense of you know, it's kind of been like a phantom limb for the last seven years and as much as you know, Missouri fans, you know, want to profess that they're happy are in the SEC and Kansas fans want to say they don't miss Missouri. It's, I just think that's an outright lie and it's been a lie and, (laughs) you know, we've just, you know, once the animosity tamped down and, you know, both schools kind of realized what opportunity just in pure monetary terms was there, it was just when, you know, the right kind of political mix was going to be right to bring it back and i think now's and we can talk about this i think just now has kind of the right confluence of factors to revive this thing so i i was happy to see that it's back i'm glad that you know there's you know a familiar touchstone there that can sort of link generations of fans on both sides but as far as like shocked not not really so i I feel bad saying it's shocked Excited! I'll be excited when the that game. Was... I'll be excited when the game <laughs> is actually here, and you know we can you know talk about you know how it's going to absolutely turn the power and light district into a riot zone. So I'll be happy <laughs> when we actually get close to the game itself. But it's like a sugar high. You're excited for like the first five or six minutes, and you're like, oh wait, it's another thirteen months before this game actually happens. Uh.
1: Yeah, uh, it is uh, it is a long way away. There is a, an agreement for anybody who hasn't seen it. We'll just kind of run down the details. There's an agreement for six games over the course of six seasons starting next year uh, with a game at the Sprint Center. Uh, then we have alternating home and home games for four years before they finish back at the Sprint Center. Um, Sprint Center being in Kansas City. For anybody who's listening who's not familiar with that, uh, which I can't imagine you aren't but um, I like this setup a lot uh, mainly because I really think the, uh, the St. Louis location works for Bragg and rights really well uh, I like that they went ahead and and started with a, a kind of a neutral site which I you know I think you could maybe not call it neutral but um, it's it's certainly an embattled territory we'll just, kind of put it that way uh but kansas city is is uh is in between and then kind of being able to have these games back in allen field house and back at mizzou arena uh i think is a really really smart play and it's going to make uh sort of the the level of excitement for those games i think kind of go over the top and then the timing of it which is sort of right at the end of the semester is to make sure that students are still around uh to make sure that the uh, excitement level, you know, is is able to, to kind of be there for the on-campus games, I think is really important. And not that, I mean, not that people wouldn't show up in droves uh, to watch Missouri and Kansas play, whether students were there or not, but I just think it's always better when you have that energy from a big-time student section.
2: Yeah, I, I do think the addition of Kansas City is just nice. I've always I think it sort of gives a nice sampling of what the rivalry has been. You get, obviously get the on-campus site, so there's the nod to history. But you also play it in a Big 12 town. And I've always sort of sensed that Kansas City, more than St. Louis, is a little bit more of a college sports town. And I think it just it fits with the culture there. I think it'll be reminiscent of you know meetings in the Big 12, Big 8 tournament that have happened there over the years. So I think it's just a nice mix, and I think it's just a great event to sort of Take to your alumni, you know. Obviously, Lawrence is a little bit more uh, geographically pro- geographically proximal to Kansas <laughs> City, but I still think it's nice to put a game there. You know, give your alums from both sides, you know, an event to go to. You can put events around that. You know, I, I think it's just a good deal in general. Um, it also feels more true to the spirit of the rivalry. You know, bragging rights has been entrenched in St. Louis for three or four decades now. So it just, it I, you know, I'd be, be cool if we wanted to go to bragging rights on campuses. I think it'd be awesome if you know Illinois came into Mizzou, Reno or Mizzou had to go to Champaign-Urbana, but it, you know, it's not true to kind of the spirit of the event right now. So, you know, for a resumption of hostilities, this feels like kind of the best way to give it some oomph and to give it some juice. And if, you know, if this thing, you know, proves durable, then I think maybe you slowly transition away from, kansas city and you just go back to a home and home series but for now it seems like just the best way to to kick it back off yeah i i i like
1: that they structured it this way i just think that i i like the inclusion like you said i and as a st louis and i think i can admit i i do think kansas city is a better college sports town than st louis is um I think St. Louis is probably leans a little bit more professional there. Um, you know, even the NBA and NFL seem to be more popular um, here than than college football and basketball, uh, which I don't know that that's necessarily the case in Kansas City. So, uh, I think the proximity of Kansas City to um, to Lawrence, to Manhattan, uh, to Lincoln, um, and Columbia, uh, as well as, you know not being that far away from iowa sort of is able to bring a lot of those uh alumni to an area and, and really kind of pump up the, the college sports so i even if they extended this for like another 20 years i would still like to see them like every few years and i, I like the structure of kind of doing one then four then one uh, i would like to kind of see that keep going uh where you you sort of have a a, a pattern uh to rely on to know that uh, you know okay so maybe a mid-December trip to, uh, you know, Kansas City to to watch the game is is more attainable and more easy to kind of you know get to than um, trying to, to schedule a, a you know a trip to go see uh, or try to get a ticket into Allen Fieldhouse or Missouri Arena.
2: And I feel like Norm Stewart would point out that two out of every three years that game is on the Missouri side of the border. So I think that the you know slight uh, geographic lean towards uh, the Missouri side. So. <laughs> Yeah, you know, borders exist and we will honor them, so I feel like Norm would be happy with that uh, with that stipulation. <laughs> um but yeah, it's it's just a unique setup and, and you know, I tweeted this last night, good on the administrations for doing this. You know I don't know what prompted, you know, Bill's self change of heart. I don't particularly care. What made Bill sort of move off his stance that you know This game wasn't going to happen i'm glad that they relented uh i'm glad that you know missouri and kansas each kind of agreed to give up a home game here to put it on well
1: well, how conspiratorial do we want to get on this podcast you can get as conspiratorial
2: as you want (laughs) i I mean i I
1: know we we both have our uh a little bit of cynicism uh in us and i i tend to think that there is probably a a little bit of the NCAA lurking in the back of the minds of KU athletics and their incentive to kind of schedule this game because uh if the NCAA decides to sort of lay the hammer down, um, you know, Kansas can sort of shrug and say, Hey, like, you know, maybe this year or the next couple years are a wash, but we have, you know, Missouri's asked to kick and and to look forward to that. And isn't that great fans? Like, You all love kicking Missouri's ass, so let's go do it. Um, And uh, I think there's a little, there's probably a little bit of that that maybe provided some additional incentive. I also think that the NCAA kind of coming in and levying the allegations maybe was able to weaken Bill Self enough in the athletic uh, department, uh, enough to kind of give Jeff Long uh, the rope that he needed because it really does seem like Long. Uh, has a good relationship with Jim Sterk. Um, and that's something that really hasn't existed uh, at Kansas, uh, you know, since Missouri left for the SEC. And, and and rightfully so, like I understand the bitterness that Kansas and Kansas fans and, and a lot of boosters and whatever maybe felt uh, for, for how Missouri handled their exit and, and, and leaving everybody behind and all that history, blah, blah, blah. Um. Like I understand that side of it, but I, I also tend to think that if they were put in the same place, that they would have done it just the same. And uh, to to say otherwise is is kind of ignorant of the uh, the situation that it, the Big Twelve was in, um, you know, at that time with sort of you know Texas and Oklahoma and all those schools kind of threatening uh, to leave for the Pac twelve and and basically basically looking at a league where. I mean Kansas, Kansas State, Missouri might have been scrambling to try to get into like the the Mountain West just to have a conference, and that that just I mean, if you have the SEC, which at the time was probably the uh, and still is the most powerful football conference in the country, uh, knocking at your door saying, "Do you want to join us?" I I think it's a, a obvious no brainer.
2: I think you hit on a point that I sort of come back to. I just think the personalities involved in those moves and that strife have kind of cycled out. Mike Alden's retired. Gary Pinkle's retired. You know, Brady is, is no longer chancellor. So you've, you've got, and on the Kansas side, you know, there have also been administrative changes that have happened in the last seven years. There are new ADs there, you know, at least in Missouri, there's a new basketball coach that sort of understands kind of the lay of the land and what this rivalry means. So I just think, there was enough kind of refreshing that happened at the administrative level that those two sides could kind of come back together without that sense of animus there or that sense of betrayal or, you know, just kind of that those emotions that stuck in their craw from, you know, the, the schism that happened seven years ago. So I, I do think that there's value in sort of having new people kind of take a look at the problem and sort of say, okay, how can we work around this? And so that that's where my mind sort of goes. I just think at the same point in time, I, I think from Missouri's end, there's a willingness to give because, you know, for as much as the SEC's been a, a fruitful financial situation, you know, we talked about this before we came on air, Missouri still a relative plebe in that conference and there hasn't been a rivalry that's emerged there. And, you know, I doubt Kansas fans would want to openly say that, but the sunflower showdown doesn't pack as much of just the same visceral oomph as what the border war did. And so I think there's just been, you know, both sides, you know, I remember Bill Self saying, you know, several years ago. I don't know if in five years people will remember the rivalry, if in ten years they'll remember the rivalry. Well, that didn't really happen. You know, nothing kind of patched over that. And, you know, memories, you know, didn't go away. You know, there are fan bases, you know, there are segments of the fan base that, you know, don't want to play come hell or high water, but I think most people wanted it back, and there was just the conditions were ripe to sort of, you know, hit a reset. And I think it's just nice to see that that happened.
1: Well anybody that doesn't want to play this game doesn't want to play out of a level of animus that means the game should be played.
2: Yeah, it's it's actually proof that you we should be doing this. <laughs> right. Like
1: there there's no like logical reason for the game not to be played. If the the reason that you're giving uh you know, and, and I understand like the, the aspect of okay, so for the last five years, Missouri's been terrible. It doesn't really help Kansas. Um, well, there's been plenty of games in Kansas'
2: schedule. Kansas uh, brings a lot of really bad teams to Allen Fieldhouse, <laughs> right? You know, and it's like just it's... Like, like
1: there's there's a there's a way that you could have made this work if you really wanted it to work. And and I, I think that there is you know obviously the the saying is that time heals all uh, time heals all wounds, uh, and to a level it does. And maybe there's going to be a segment of each fan base that'll never be able to, uh, like, get over kind of, you know, whatever animus is there. But um, I think that after a certain period of time, you just sort of look at this and you think like it's stupid that we're not playing. Like, yeah. can you imagine if Duke and UNC split up and all of a sudden they're like, yeah, we're just not going to play this game anymore? Like it, and and realistically, like I think. The Missouri Kansas rivalry is maybe not at the exact same level, but it's right behind Duke UNC as as probably the you know the greatest rivalry in in college basketball, um, and right up there with. I mean, I can't really think of any off the top of my head that I would say that
2: are better. I think the I I and we've talked about this before. I could understand KU's position of you, that Missouri made a conscious decision here. Missouri, you know, used its agency to go find stability in the SEC. And that did not, and once that happened, once they unchained themselves from the Big 12 and the scheduling demands that come with it, it became you know KU's choice whether to continue it or not and you know if KU didn't want to do it I said you know hey that's within their right Missouri decided that it wanted to trade and I do think Missouri made that decision whether or not fans want to admit it and we Missouri traded some history for future stability and you know you can say KU would have made the same decision and that it's just sour grapes It doesn't remove the fact that that's what Missouri did. And, you know, it's disingenuous to suggest otherwise. Just as it's disingenuous, though, for Kansas to say that, you know, oh, you know, we just can't make it work. And, you know, oh, we have everything (laughs) to go. But then you're scheduling Colorado and Nebraska. Both sides were disingenuous in this. It was just a matter of how long each was going to, you know, kind of stamp their foot and hold their breath. And I think we've gotten to the point now almost a decade out where, Like we said, whether it's, you know, Kansas staring down, you know, the potential barrel of NCAA sanctions or leadership changes, everyone just got tired of, you know, putting up those facades and just got down to the business of making it work again. And I think that's what I'm going to keep coming back to. here. Everybody just gave up the charade and just decided that, hey, let's let's just make this work. And that's what I'm happy about, because it was the sensible thing to do. And I'm glad it finally, you know, some common sense finally prevailed.
1: I am too. Um, do you have uh, odds on whether or not Bill Self is on the sideline uh, for that game next year?
2: I don't, but that'll be interesting.
1: <laughs> I can't get anybody like actually to say yes or no. I asked like several contacts, um, you know, including people that have been in the podcast uh, here, like what their thoughts were. Yes or no, and every everybody was noncommittal on that.
2: Um, I mean, I hope he's. You're, you're, I kind of hope he's there because I think it'll just be great if he has to walk out and sort of coach the game, which he seemed hell bent on not resuming again. I think it'll be. And plus, it, and bless. I think you have to sort of consider. You know, Bill's got you know skin in this too. He Missouri picked someone else instead of him two decades ago. You know it came down to him and Quinn and they picked Quinn and you know I've always sort of thought in the back of his mind that there's been a little desire to you know say fuck you every time that they play you know you didn't pick me you know now look what you get so I just think that there's I like having that element it just adds another layer to kind of the drama so I kind of hope Bill's there you know just because I think it's it just adds another flavor to the mix
1: yeah, and I, I will say that uh, part of the way I feel about Kansas extends to how I feel about Bill Self, who I respect very much as a basketball coach. Just like I respect Kansas as a basketball program and, and uh, the, the winning that they've done, um, the way that they, they play, they're well-coached, they, they play hard, they, um, they look like a really great basketball team um but i i don't like bill self i think he uh is disingenuous and i think that he's uh always been a cheat um and so i can't say that i've ever felt the same way about roy williams i always wanted missouri to beat kansas when roy was there
2: i liked watching i loved watching roy's kansas teams play
1: I will be That that maybe that's that's part of it also is is the the way that he played there the way that he plays at North Carolina like it's just it's wonderful basketball. Um but yeah, so I I would say that I definitely um root for Kansas to lose more so because of Bill self uh and his coaching staff than necessarily like the guys that wear the uniforms because i've never really been a root against players guy even when you know all the mizzou fans were booing ryan robertson for some reason um i've never really felt like that guy but but i definitely would like bill self to walk out on the sideline and i would really like if he's still there uh for the return trip to columbia um like that would be a a really great moment. And I would love to hear the booze rain down. Um, I'm skeptical that it happens because I'm wondering if there's going to be some NCAA penalties and Bill's just going to be like, you know, screw this. I'm going to go to the NBA and and make millions of dollars and and just do that.
2: But we'll see. Yeah. I I mean, I would do that almost regardless of NCAA infractions because being an NBA basketball coach seems pretty cool. You know, you don't no recruiting. You just gotta show up every day. Track pants, t-shirt, scout, <laughs> run a practice. Got That's somebody... why, like, I love the idea. Like, all these people are just like, oh, like,
1: like, why didn't Quinn Snyder work out in college? Why is he like? Why did it work for him in, at the pro level? I'm like, because he hated recruiting. Like, once you realize like that recruiting is hard, and recruiting is pretty easy at Duke. Like, it's. It's always hard, but it's as easy of recruiting as recruiting is is going to get at Duke, right? I mean, you you pretty much walk in the door and you can get any any kid you really you really really want. You just have to show up with coach K. And uh when he had to get out and do that different kind of recruiting, like it's it's harder, but if you could just show up and coach, everyone always said from like an Xs and Os standpoint, like there was nobody who could really you know, match uh, Quinn Snyder. So I, and I I feel a lot of that with Bill Self, like Bill Self is a really, really great basketball coach. If you remove all the things that he's done, uh, which all pertain to recruiting and just make him a basketball coach, like I think that's a, that's a win for, for him. And maybe even whether or
2: not you like him, (laughs) maybe not. Yeah. I'm, that's why I'm intrigued to see what John Beeline does this year. But uh, he does not have a very good basketball team in Cleveland, so I also feel sad for John Beeline this year. Um, but it's it'll be interesting to see what happens with the date for this moving forward. That, that to me, I think, is is really interesting, and you kind of hit on it earlier. I, I would love for them to keep it in mid-December. I would love for it to stay there. Just mm-hmm. put it on stop day Saturday, let the kids come out, let, them, let that be sort of the last you know, big event before they got to hunker down and do finals and go home for the semester. And also dropping Border War and Bragging Rights within a 10 to 14-day span. is just a lot of catharsis around the holidays. It's just a lot of of emotional energy gets let out. Um, And you can channel whatever you want into that. I just think that would be... That's the time of the year to kind of drop those games when work schedules are open and when folks can, you know, just make room and make time for those games. So if they could find a way to keep it in mid December, that would just be fantastic. And also I think I mentioned this last night to you. By that point those teams will have like worked through the kinks, will have an idea of what rotations are. Like you're going to start seeing teams that are kind of cohesive. And that's what you want in that game. You want both teams to feel like they have a sense of who they are and what they do well and, you know, have a sense of, you know, that this game you know is one that they can bring their best effort for, so that's why I'd love to keep it in mid December. So that, that's my pitch for don't move it, just keep it where it is. It's, it's great, you, you did it right the first time, don't change it.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, I uh I, I like it. So, um, I think we can move on from the Braggamite talk, considering that we've already spent about 20 minutes on it and uh the game isn't even going to be played, uh, for another 14 months 13 months something like that um but there is one other sort of topic we wanted to get to before uh before we get on out of here and that matt is our vindication
2: i don't know if it's vindication because it has to like actually exist in you know four and a half months from now so you call it my in my best Captain Holt voice. Don't do it. Vindication.
1: Don't do it. You're not Andre Brower. Yeah, you know. it was. It was pretty good though. Um, I mean, I wasn't doing an impression. I was doing more of like a same authority, like we are vindicated. So, uh, what I'm talking about, everybody, um, Ken Palm, everybody's favorite advanced statistics analyst for college basketball dropped his preseason rankings for everyone to see and missouri your missouri tigers uh, are projected to finish 39th that is good for sixth in the sec just one spot uh, behind 38th ranked lsu uh, and a record of 10 and 8 which weirdly enough is what i projected them as um and I think you did too, right? Yeah, I'm at 10 and 8. I feel I feel really good. Um, because we have long thought that... Uh, now, Missouri, I don't think the rest of us have ever thought Missouri is going to be great. Missouri would have to have a lot of things go their way for them to be great. But we thought they would be pretty good. Uh, and for all the preseason polls that have come out, including... Uh, Matt Norlanders, uh, one through 350, what is it, 353 now? Yeah, 353. Um, he had Missouri 82nd, and it sort of goes in line with this This Missouri is not going to be good because Missouri hasn't been good for several years, uh, even though they uh, managed to make the NCAA tournament just a couple years ago. Um but I like looking at the rankings. Um, so there's always going to be fluctuation. I think it, you look at the top. Yeah. Kentucky, Florida. We all expected that, right? You look at the bottom. Vanderbilt. Uh, yeah. Everybody in the world uh, has Vanderbilt last in the SEC. Yeah.
2: That, I feel bad um, for Vanderbilt. Everyone says you're going to be terrible. <laughs> yeah. Computers, coaches bloggers writers there's no safe haven for you everybody says you are going to be garbage it's i it's 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 rough for them i feel bad you know i
1: yeah good luck to uh coach stackhouse and his commodores um they're gonna need it this year um at the very bottom of that and i mean not super spread out so there's between 38 and 70 there's basically everybody in the sec uh outside of five teams so lsu missouri arkansas mississippi state georgia texas a&m ole miss south carolina and alabama are all in that group alabama's at the bottom and i have them higher than missouri in my preseason uh picks um but i kind of get especially now like their depth court is or their depth in the front court has taken some hits this preseason they've lost uh two of their guys to season ending injuries um and their front court wasn't great last year uh yeah with may- with maybe the exception of Dante Hall who is a a, a nice player so i feel good that um what we expect is sort of lined up for missouri but it really isn't for alabama and now i'm starting to question my own my own picks
2: uh i i looked at this the other day we are we are higher on missouri alabama and tennessee than most in kim Bart Torovic or the sc media we are less bullish on auburn and georgia that's basically where we diverge other than that our picks are within one to two or within one spot of almost everybody else so we i think and that's sort of natural because i think we view auburn as taking a bigger hit in the backcourt than some national and sec writers do but you know bruce pearl's shown you know that he's been able to rally troops there before so maybe he can do it again um, Georgia, I think you and I are the opinion that Anthony Edwards is, is gonna get a lot of touches and gonna get, have an insane usage rate. Rayshon Hammonds could be a really really nice combo forward for them, but the rest of the lineup is just it, it's scatter right now, and
1: right? a lot of youth.
2: It's a lot he, of youth. I mean, he, he, he's got some talent, but there's a lot of guys who need a little seasoning. When Tom Crean has a young basketball team, they turn the ball over a crap load. And they don't play defense. Like they come in like one tenth or one twentieth in adjusted defensive efficiency. Like, and I watched a uh, part of their game against Valdosta State, who I believe is Division Two. It was an exhibition game. They were not defending. <laughs> like I, uh, they're gonna trade buckets. Like I've said, if there's like a league pass team, you should have in the SEC. It's Georgia, because every game is gonna be up and down. Anthony Edwards is gonna do a lot of stuff. And at the end, you're just like, what the hell happened? Like, any range of outcomes is in play. You know, and when Tom Crean has an experienced roster, they can be a death machine. When they are young, it's just, you're all over the spectrum and the pendulum in terms of outcomes. It's fun to watch if you have no rooting interest in the game, um, but I watched it nearly uh, mentally uh, just destroy Indiana fans for four years, so... It was, it, it's something to behold if you don't have a stake in it. But uh, in general, I think the middle of the league is going to be fluid. We've said that for a long time. Um, I well, don't. Yeah, and I, I will point out like he does have Alabama
1: at the bottom at thirteen. Uh, this is Ken Palm. Um,
2: but look at ranked
1: seventieth. Me... But but it's eight. The record is eight and ten. <laughs> like that's that's the margin for error. This and I, t- I realize there's a lot of like those 56, you know, 44 kind of games that are going to, you know, go one way or the other, but uh, yeah, I it, it's going to be a lot of
2: he's if got somebody gets a key injury at some point. He's got 10 teams within two games of each other in the standings. And like the the critical thing is look at the teams out. Look at Alabama at 70th, South Carolina at 69th, Mississippi at 60th, A&M at 58. Georgia at 55, that's five teams within 15 spots of one another. Like, Bama very well could fin it if it really is that tight. If that's really how things shake out, Bama could be 12th if the tiebreakers go wrong for them. Like, that's, that's where we are, realistically, is if it really is that muddled in the middle, we're going to be looking at, you know, three and 14 tiebreakers and trying to figure out how all this stuff shakes out. So the bigger deal to me is looking at the overall Kim Palm ranking and where they are and then kind of trying to correlate that to where a team might be on the seed line. And if you're looking at Missouri solely, 38th or 39th is around between a 7 or a 9 seed, which that puts you solidly on the bubble. Like you're in, but you're not an absolute lock. So Mm -hmm. if Missouri's hanging around the bubble all year, you know, goes nine and three in non-con. I think that would line up with what a lot of people, at least local media, and you know, us yeah, and, local media. And I'll give credit, you know, to to you know anybody that's been around the program. I think that they've got the same sense that we do, and the same sort of outlook or a similar outlook for this team. I think that they, you know, have a little bit more bullish perspective on what's there. But I also think they like us are a little bit more attuned to kind of the context and what happened last year and what produced a 15, 17 result. So I don't, I don't think people that follow Mizzou closely, whether it's coaching staff, fans, writers, I think everyone's pretty much in agreement that 13th looks really low and that, you know, 82nd in a ranking looks really low. And that's not because they're no biased or because that they have an affinity. I think it's, they have a really good handle on where this program is and sort of what this roster looks like, so it's nice to see that you know that's reflected a little bit in Kim Palm and that you know what people are sort of seeing, you know, closer to the ground may actually have some merit. So that 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 is a positive. So I, I do want to at least underscore that that you know people who pay attention to this program consistently, you know, are all sort of you know vindicated in what they've been thinking about this team so far
1: and it's also another thing like on the sec media part of it um it's sort of easy to understand that there's probably a fair amount of those guys that are spending a lot of their time covering football uh you know we're sent to kind of cover this basketball event and and vote on a uh <laughs> preseason poll and since they're in football mode they basically like took it last look at last year's standings looked at what each team lost and probably saw that missouri lost their leading score um and another starting forward and uh and weren't very good last year so it's just like and and that's sort of like in my estimation what is probably happening with a lot of the sec media writers who like i said i'm I'm assuming most of those guys are probably covering the, the football team uh which you and i both know like like football really tends to drive more traffic um you know, maybe with Missouri being the outlier because we're obviously a basketball school. Uh, But that becomes one of those things where not to completely just explain away somebody's terrible analysis, but um, it's certainly a rationale that makes sense for why somebody would (laughs) sort of pick a team that has a lot of promise um, and certainly has a lot going for it uh, as low as 13th like I just don't see how you could think that they would be worse than they were last year with so many of the pieces coming back and getting better
2: like that usually happens from year to year so um yeah I I think the other thing to keep in mind too is and this is the annual spiel I give Kim pom does not truly reflect the current season until about the second or third week of December. Uh, Mr. Kim Pomeroy is very smart and realizes that like you have to have some old data in your algorithm in order to project forward. So what he does is it slowly basically, it, 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 the mix of data that goes in eventually flushes old data, but that takes about the first six to seven weeks of the season to do that. So really a key point to like check in to get a gauge of how the 2019, 2020 version of Missouri looks is probably like around the end of the first semester in Columbia. So around December 15, that's probably a good date. So that'll be another point to check in to be like, all right, we've seen nine to 10 games live. We've been able to, you know, review some data from that. This let's, let's do a check-in point at the, you know, a third of the way through the year. And that's when I think you'll start to see things kind of really become truly accurate and reflective of what the league looks like. So that's my usual spiel, but I feel like we need to say it every year, just so people don't freak out, uh, early in the season.
1: Uh, we're like two weeks away from, from basketball and, uh, from college basketball, I should say we are. You and I are probably both going to go uh, watch some NBA basketball after we finish uh, wrapping here. But uh, yeah, just about two weeks away, um, and the college basketball season will be here. I'm excited. Got the previews rolling. Is
2: everybody reading the previews? I hope you are. Please read the previews. We spend a lot of time <laughs> on them. <laughs> There's a lot of a lot of work that goes into those. Please, please click on them. Um, please. <laughs> we promise you, you, you'll you learn something. We don't know if it's what you'll want to read, but you'll learn something if you read them. Um, I say that as a guy who wrote 2,900 words on Jeremiah Tillman's post-up skills. So, I... I... Yeah. We, we're doing a lot <laughs> of stuff right now.
1: We're- There's a lot of content on the website uh, these days. Uh, just today, um, we posted
2: like eight things one, two, i think I'll, I'll count we did one two there's six up there now seven yeah eight things and then there was yeah eight there there were eight things posted today
1: it's, that's a lot uh i encourage you all to read them uh, i think josh's uh little spiel on console um console martin kind of Helping revive the border war is a good one. Uh, I really enjoyed Nate's beyond the box score. I don't know how many people are, are reading that with regularity, but uh, really happy with what Nate is is putting out and his beyond the box score has a little editorial. That's also uh, kind of fun. Um, we talked about the wing position for uh, for the basketball team, mainly Torrance Watson and, and Javon Pickett. Um, we being you, me, and, and Josh. There was a depth chart. Uh, Sammy Stava also talked to Asea Blue to talk the upcoming Kentucky game. Nate released his power rankings and the number 10 Ole Miss Rebels preview. So we have now released, uh, Ole Miss, um, what Georgia, Texas AM, South Carolina, and Vanderbilt previews. Uh, with tomorrow, um, I'm assuming a lot of people are probably going to listen to this podcast on Wednesday. Um, do you remember who's nine? Is it Mississippi State?
2: Yeah, Mississippi State is tomorrow. Uh, yeah, Mississippi State's tomorrow, and then I think Arkansas is Friday. So we we are also we're also bullish on Arkansas. We're probably more bullish than some are on Arkansas.
1: So. Although I do kind of agree with uh, Ken Palm's metrics that they may not be great defensively.
2: They don't that, have a lot. Like, of I I think they're going to put up a lot of points. <laughs> they will score. I think they're going to score. Um, it'll depend on if they can get... I haven't heard if Connor Vanover is been, has earned a waiver or not. If they could get Connor Vanover eligible, that would probably help them if they had a big 7-foot dude parked in front of the rim. They uh, so um, could also stretch the floor on offense. Yeah, they, they could really use Connor Vanover. Uh, if they get Connor eligible, then I will probably reassess uh, my thoughts on Arkansas. I think I had them like ninth or 10th. But if they get him eligible, he might be worth one or two spots.
1: So follow Matt on Twitter because he will send out tweets that include links to things that you might want to read. Um, he will also engage you and talk about whiskey and uh, IPAs.
2: Yeah, yeah. Yep. Just like any yuppie 34-year-old man. <laughs> whiskey and IPAs.
1: That's that's the move, Uh and then follow me on twitter also uh, i will also tweet out links and retweet uh many of our uh, current crop writers who will send you all the Rock'em nation content and um trying to think i yeah i talk a little bit about whiskey but uh a little bit about beer uh also anybody if you're a really big stout lover uh you can go to uh, perennial's uh, website and sign up for the Abraxas uh, event which you get like four bottles of, of Abraxas and, and they're all different variations they're all awesome uh, hi- highly encourage you to do that uh, but that's the last of uh, this podcast I think we're just going to get out of here